to Women's Health, Wisdom, and Wine, a weekly conversation with practitioners, providers, patients, and healers about complex reproductive medicine and women's health challenges, the value of an integrative approach to these challenges, many of the women's health topics you're already thinking about but uncomfortable talking about, and my personal favorite, wine. I'm your host, Dr. Lorena White, an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health provider, licensed acupuncturist, clinical herbalist, and a former labor support doula in the Washington, D.C. metro area. My goal is to bring women's health-specific evidence and expertise to the forefront of daily women's health and wellness news through informative conversations. If you have ideas, questions, and specific topics that you would like us to cover in future podcast episodes, please leave them in the comment section or send us an email at info at To learn more about our team's approach to care, visit our website at www.larenawhite.com. As you enjoy the podcast, conversations, and wine time, remember to follow the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and tap on the bell to make sure you never miss an episode. Let us know what is your favorite topic, who has been your favorite guest, and who would you like to hear from on the next pod. Most importantly, share the podcast and your favorite episode with a friend or colleague. Lastly, remember that this podcast is not designed to be a substitute for a bona fide relationship with a licensed or certified healthcare professional. Coming up, I talk with Rita Naomi Moran about meditation as a healing modality, the principle of Kapwa, and integrative nature school and going outside. Let's join the conversation. Welcome back. Oftentimes when we meet someone new, we're unfortunately meeting their representative. And while I'm not talking about the blatant hypocrisy that often pervades social media and all the different landscapes that we find ourselves on, I'm really talking about the less being less than authentic and being completely unbothered, full frontal approach to what many of us have sadly grown to feel as we need to adopt instead of just be. Um, and just just to get by in some ways. And I'm not calling anyone out because I am guilty of some of the same things from code switching to using my white voice on phone calls. I've been there. So, but from day one, our next guest has been a gem full of life, full of wisdom and authenticity. So Rita, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about living your fullest potential. Thank you, Lorena. Thank you. Just, it's great to be here, and uh, <laughs> just, woo, we're finally connecting. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's been quite a journey. Um, yeah, you know, I, I just in in that question, it just brings to mind my son when um, when park rangers. We've been to over two hundred national parks, and yeah. and when they ask my son, they say, "What's your favorite national park?" He'll say, "Well." It's the one I'm in. The one I'm in. Yeah. The one I'm in. And so when people ask me a little bit about myself and, you know, there are, of course, all the things that I've studied and done, but I guess I just always am looking at what is, how can we connect a little bit more? Um, What is my relationship with this person? How can I deepen that relationship? And so, you know, I have these modalities of physical therapy, of yoga, of movement, of, and being outside. 
Um, but all those are kind of my gateways, you know, right. my gateways to connection. So I suppose maybe in one word, I would describe myself as a connector. A connector. I love it. Yes. <laughs> I like, and you are, you're a very good connector. Um, so talk to us about Naomi healing practice. I love, I've always loved that you use all of your names and if not your last name, you always use Rita Naomi. And that's how, at first I thought Naomi was your last name until I fully got to know you. Um, so talk to us about Naomi healing. Yeah, you know, that's, it's actually, it just reminds me of something. I wasn't even going to talk about it, but um, yeah, my mom actually named me after her closest friend whose name was Naomi, mm. but she's Filipino, raised in a Catholic tradition, and there is no Naomi saint. <laughs> so she kind of broke the convention a little bit and um. decided she would kind of weave her way around that by just putting Rita before Naomi. Uh-huh. And I didn't know that Naomi was actually part of my name until after she died. And oh, I got wow. a yeah, and I got a copy of my original birth certificate and it said Rita Naomi. And I asked my dad and he said, yeah, he said, actually, it's it's your legal name. And so I just I just felt really connected to my mother when I heard that. And I also just felt that the word Naomi represented all the unseen unconscious parts of who i am yeah. so i really wanted to use that word naomi just as a way of not not only naming my individual expression in the world but just as a way of putting together the work i've done to help women to heal yeah so naomi it stands for nature uh -huh. our inner and outer nature uh-huh and awareness, uh -huh. which comes from just years of, you know, presence-based practices. Yeah. And O, which is observation with some curiosity attached to that. Mm -hmm. And movement, which as you know, I'm pretty <laughs> in, into. Right. And, uh, <laughs> Rita, I love you. I just love you. I mean, just, I wish people could, I can't wait till people see your face as we, you know, but this is, you're making me smile just listening to you talk. Your voice is melodic. So continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I, thank you so much. Yeah, we always have fun when we talk. Yes. Um, and the last word is I integration, which is really, I don't know if it's the most important, but it's certainly, you know, it's kind of that part that puts it all together. And the reason why that's particularly important right now is that we are living in a time where everything is going, going, going. There is not much that supports us to pause, to rest and reflect. Right. And, and that part is actually a nervous system part, as you know, that's the parasympathetic system. Yeah. We're in this kind of constant drive of sympathetic fight or flight. And so we're, we're, we've got excessive cortisol, which then of course leads to all sorts of stress-related illnesses. So for me, this idea of integration is the idea of balance between these parts of the nervous system, but also just taking in from this usual consumption-based lifestyle to try to bring it in. Yeah. You know? So that's kind of what it is. 
Yeah, I love it. I mean, and I love how you took your name and now made it into, you know, incorporated that into your purpose and your plan of how everything comes together and how everything moves and how everything connects, kind of bringing you back to being a connector. Um, so when we originally connected, we connected over obviously women's health, but especially our vested interest in physical therapy, and in my case, pelvic floor physical therapy. So how do you incorporate PT, yoga, and manual therapy into your work? Yeah. Um, yeah, they're all, you know, a separate modality right. in, their own, in their own right, as you know. Um, but they're all related as well. I mean, I don't think anyone who practices physical therapy that pay attention, pay attention, pays attention to the body um, you can't help but, but go deeper into your studies if, when you're wanting to really be of service. Mm-hmm. And when you start to go deeper into physical therapy, you start to recognize, hopefully within your own self, like in physical therapy school, we don't learn how to move. We're taught like this structure, you know, this system, and then to apply that structure to people, right? Like it's, that's how medicine is. It's, it's yeah. how Western medicine is, which has its merits, right? But we also have to allow for these other parts of ourselves that are more integrative, that um, allow for the creative self to come forward. Mm-hmm. And so some of the gateways for that is our sensory experience. And a primary sensory experience, certainly in, in our field, is touch. Yes. You know, we don't get touch in the world. And if it is, it's kind of it's kind of out there, it's kind of other. I mean, when I when I first started working, it was in the early 80s and I was I went into massage and that was really considered out there. That was really other um, the the uh, Columbia School of Acupuncture hadn't even started yet and so my friends that did practice acupuncture we were all considered out there and the only reason why people would come to see me is because i had this physical therapy license which was right. somehow a little bit more legitimate yeah. <laughs> yeah now it's like what anyway right. i know which is actually part of why i ended up going into physical therapy because i just thought you know i'm not reaching people in the way and i also wanted to learn more about research so right. i suppose you know going back to your original question i think that I use the practice of physical therapy to maybe deepen my knowledge in science Mm -hmm. and improve my languaging to talk with other healthcare professionals like you. Right. Um, And I use yoga as a way of helping people to become more aware, to do these really ancient techniques that are are really quite simple Mm -hmm. and they can implement themselves. It's not Mm -hmm. just me telling them what to do. Right. So, yeah, and then manual therapy, which is touch. So it's just kind of balancing that sensory system that people are in desperate need of. So desperately. And I think even after being in a pandemic and COVID and touch almost literally being forbidden and, you know, almost a scare tactic in some in some instances, that touch has still been something that people are still craving and finding it in different methods and different ways that's not necessarily healthy or not necessarily um, taking into account the positive aspects, but really people are craving that touch and create, uh, craving the 
the community and the connection associated with touch. So again, the word connection comes comes full fold once again. You're, you are so right. Um, you also can, ask, go ahead. I did want to ask you, I think sure. it was one of the things that drew me to you in the first place. Sure. You know, just this whole, you know, as an OBGYN, I mm -hmm. mean, you're like really smack in the middle of pelvic floor <laughs> healing, right? Right. There's <laughs> very little that I found in medicine often that's promoting healing. And I guess yeah. I just thought, you know, she's a healer. Yes. How'd you get there? <laughs> wow. Um, I think it all started with my grandmother. Um, she had healing hands and it, it's going to sound colloquial. It's going to sound um, almost corny, but it was more than just hugging when she would hug us. It was more than just holding my hand when she would hold my hand. There was energetic movement there. And I talk about my grandma all the time just because she was my first herbalist. She was just such a a wisdom woman. And I think I took all that for granted when I was a child because she was just my grandma. Um, but when I look back and I see all the things that she used to say, the words that she used to use, the ways that she would carry herself, she just carried all of that inside of her. And it was just all of this knowledge. She wasn't, you know, educated and schooled with PhDs and MDs and none of that. There was no formal training, but she was connected with nature and she knew plants. She knew remedies that, you know, are so basic, but using the things that were in her environment. So just by really focusing on the healing component and not the symptom chasing, not the manifestations that are most salient, but how did you get here? And I think a lot of times when people go into a conventional doctor's office, they're going in for a quick fix, this hurts, this is off, this is this, and make me feel better like today, now, and hurry up. Um, and our approach to care isn't about the symptom, it's about the root and what's underlying that symptom, what's underlying the manifestation. And for the most part, when someone comes into our practice and comes into our firm, they've been dealing with, managing, going through for so long, that they don't understand that they're living in a state of imbalance. And so our firm is pretty much built on addressing what's underneath that symptom. How did that symptom come to be? What is its evolution? When did it start? And unfortunately, we are in a trauma endemic world where trauma surrounds us on all sides. Yes. And I'm not talking about just the physical trauma and there's definitely that. And I'm not talking about, um, you know, relationship trauma, and there's definitely that, but I'm really talking about that chronic level, chronic states of trauma that have started in childhood and that we have unfortunately just built on and aggregated and, and something else just attaches to it. So stuff that has happened in our childhood that we may or may not have even recognized, relationship trauma, trauma, I mean, whether you're looking at your phone, looking at the news, or just pretty much opening your door to the outside world, you're experiencing some level of that. And so as our intention as a firm and in general, keeping us centered is, you know, healer, heal thyself. 
And I know I'm a work in progress and I know I have every single day just, you know, being a black woman in this here United States, it's yeah. trauma endemic. There is no escaping it. There's nothing. And yeah. And so I really have to focus on so that I can be my, the best ver version of myself. What am I doing that is augmenting trauma? And part of my goal is if I can work on myself, then I can carry that same energy to this team and this team will then carry it forth into our clientele. And part of that is keeping me accountable for not just the words that I say, but the actions that I practice and the movements that I make because someone is always looking and observing and seeing and listening. And I wanna make sure that I'm the best representative of this integrative you know, care approach. And I can only do that by living it. And yeah, I have my own wobbles. I have my own, you know, healing is a continuum. Healing is a seesaw. Um, it's not a destination. And I think that is the foundation of not just for myself, but all the practitioners and the healers in this practice as well. Yeah, there's so much about what you're saying that I just, I'm just relating to. I'm also just feeling my heart go, yeah, yeah, I just thank you. Yes, that's it. That's it. Yeah. It, it kind of relates to this word kapwa, which yeah. um, is very much a part of my uh, mom's culture, okay. uh, my culture, my lineage, you know, just like your grandmother, this idea of energetic presence and embodying yeah. in our life. Right. You know, what are those tools that we use as women, um, as women of color? you know, living in a society that's inherently already judging us. Yeah. And, you know, there's just this kind of other thing, which then, you know, at least for me, what has shaped me is to start to learn practices where I remember my absolute being, which is this, you know, the being of God, attached yeah. to God, pure, unharmed. Yes. And then the relative being that must live in this world and requires from us to be aware, right. to investigate and to live like exactly what you're saying. I just, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, again, I, I think connection might actually wind up being some type of derivative of connection might be the title of this, uh, this episode, just because it's what connected us. Like I, when we first talked, I was like, is she just your voice and the way you express things. I was like, she gets it and I don't have to like, she gets it. Like, I don't have to explain it. I don't have to defend it. She just embodies it and she gets it. Yeah. And I think that's so important because this is even, you know, what this podcast is about is like helping people to realize there are other ways and there's nothing wrong with the conventional, but it's time to move health to integrative because we're better together and it doesn't have to be this or that. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah. One isn't better or worse. Right. One is not bad and one is good. No, we're integrative complex beings and we need the soundness of mind, body and spirit working in concert to be our whole selves, to be our authentic selves. And right. being able to achieve that or at the very least work towards it is what gets us to the place where we all wanna be that we, so we can fulfill our greater purposes. And so again, just hearing you reflect that is just just um, kind of gives me new hope and renewed vigor because I know the work that we're all doing together is benefiting so many people. 
you practice the Feldenkrais method, I think, um, yeah. if I'm saying it correctly. So share a little bit more about this approach to health, wealth, and health, wellness, and healing. Yeah, no, the Feldenkrais method is, is a really interesting and beautiful um, movement-based practice. Right. Uh, it was started by a physicist named Moshe Feldenkrais, uh, and he essentially rehabbed himself from a knee injury and, and other deeper injuries and started taking the practices that he learned and helping a lot of people around the world. Um, there are two components to the practice. There is the group practice, the group movement classes called Awareness Through Movement. And then there is the one-on-one -on -one practice called Functional Integration. And the practices are based on the developmental unfolding of the nervous system. So for instance, as you know, that when a baby is in utero and then is born, they, they have reflexes, which we must overcome and integrate into a regular movement pattern so that we can see, we can walk, we can write, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. And so the practice is the group classes kind of reflect those developmental movements. They're okay. primarily done um, lying down just so that when we lie down, we're kind of taking the force of gravity out. So we have a little bit more support. And then the individual one-on-one, -on -one, um, the one-on-one -on -one classes are more about the provider or practitioner supporting the person's bones and nervous system so that they can go into a more efficient pattern of movement. It's like a, a more guided, hands-on, um, it's definitely hands-on, yeah. it's not energy. They don't believe in energy, it's not, I mean, you know, some, but it, it has everything to do with the nervous system, the Feldenkrais method. So I really liked it because at that particular phase of my life, I um, was recovering from a pretty uh, bad uh, neck injury. I broke my neck and I had to stop racing kayaks and stop doing lots of activity that I'd been used to doing. And my husband Bart actually started doing it and it helped him heal from nodules on his fingers. He was going to have to, he, he was getting to the point where he couldn't do manual therapy because he's right. a physical therapist. Okay. And then I um, saw the big changes that were happening to him. So I decided to do it. And as a result, um, you know, we had been going through, um, we couldn't, uh, I wasn't able to bring a baby to full term. I, I was wanting very much to have children. And it was just exactly what I needed. Yeah. Um, it just helped bring my nervous system into a completely different place. Um, and I also did it with other you know, other things, or there was a process involved, but I just liked it because it's just been a, um, kind of a, a more non-structure based way of accessing the body, right. you know, versus like yoga asana and biomechanics, which I'm trained in, but I just needed like that extra, like, you know, if this is left brain, then I need the right brain. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes it's that balance is what gets us kind of keeps us grounded. So yeah, I understand that aspect. And yeah. speaking of grounding, yeah, we hear so much about the values of meditation. Yet so right. many people either believe that it's not for them, air quote, not for them, sure. or they have these erroneous beliefs about what meditation is. 
Yeah. You know, they can't quite figure out its benefits or how the, it actually is beneficial mm-hmm. or how to adopt a practice and maintain that practice so that it works for them. From a professional perspective, what do you believe is a barrier or the block to adopting yoga or to embracing it as, or, you know, meditation, any of that, but as a formal practice for healing and wellness? Yeah, I, I think probably the biggest barrier um, is the idea that you have to sit and do uh, it a certain way. Yeah, yeah. You know, not everybody can sit still. You know, and so then, you know, you're like being told, well, you have to sit still to do this right. I mean, yeah. that makes me want to go run. <laughs> you know, like, I don't you know. Dance, right? <laughs> you know, you want, okay, you have to sit. It's not a forced march. And yeah. I think that that's kind of, I mean, I, so, so there are really two types of meditation. And yeah. that part is not, you know, talked about. Okay. But there is the outside in type of practice, which is like Zen you know, mm-hmm. very disciplined, structure-based, kind yeah. of like the biomechanics of meditation. Mm-hmm. And then there is um, insight-based, right. inside-out meditation. Okay. And so depending on where we are in our life, um, one might be more appropriate. So okay. for instance, like during COVID, I started teaching very specifically a mindful movement practice every Wednesday. I'm still doing it since February of 2020 um, or March, whenever it was, mm-hmm. um, where I'm having people, instead of sitting in meditation, moving in meditation. Okay, yeah. Because people don't realize that we have to meet the body and the mind where we are, yep. not where we think it should be. Mm-hmm. It's the yeah. should. Yes. We can we can do like right now we're surrounded by some really sorrowful, sorrowful things. Yeah. And so we do want to cultivate and practice where we want our energy to go. But first, we have to provide the container yeah. that holds that energy. And the only way to really provide that container is to be able to meet yourself. Like, can I? Can I maybe just today just rest my back against the wall and I'll breathe? Mm-hmm. And if I my mind gets distracted, as it will, mm-hmm. I'll just keep coming back to breathing or maybe just moving my fingers or moving my eyes. Yeah. So it's it's really kind of, I think in some ways, the lack of compassion and the shoulds that we promote in this culture of having to do something a certain way which can be appropriate, yeah. but it just depends on what your mental state is in. And I think you uh, hit again hit the nail on the head is that there's so many things that can only be or are only taught to be done one way. And if you're not doing it that way, then it must be wrong, or there's something wrong with you, or you can't even you can't meditate for an hour, and then it's like, oh, if I can't meditate for an hour, then I must I shouldn't meditate. Or if I can't do this for an hour and sit still for an hour, then there's something wrong with me or this doesn't work for me or this is not the thing for me. When I tell people all the time, start with 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. Start with one minute. That's right. See what you can get done in a minute. And it doesn't even have to be sitting still. Like I am one of those people that pretty much cannot sit still for a longer time. I'm working on it as a part of my meditative practice. I can when I truly am intentional about it 
But I find walking meditations, just me and God yeah. and the trees yeah. and the breeze and the animals mm -hmm. and the fresh air is yeah. more restorative to me than forcing myself to try to sit still Absolutely. longer than I feel comfortable because that's not relaxing. It gets to a point that it's not relaxed. And there's sometimes I can where that is so welcoming, where the stillness is just is like that breath of fresh air. Sure. But walking in and not even hiking, but just walking. And most of the time it's either earlier on in the morning when like there's no one outside mm -hmm. and it's just I can hear the rustle of the leaves. I can hear the wind. I can hear the, you know, the creek moving. I can hear the animals rustling through the, you know, the forest floor. I can actually hear, hear the movement of the forest. That is more restorative for me sometimes than, you know, forcing myself to sit. And I think that's a barrier because there's so many, you know, containers put around what meditation is. Mm -hmm. And the average person can't, feels that they can't do it or they won't be able to do it long enough for it to be beneficial. So, yeah. No, you're right. Go ahead. Continue. I was just going to say, I also think we have to pay attention to the cultural context because yes. meditation is traditionally an Asian Buddhist tradition yes. and it's become capitalized and homogenized and, you know, somethingized in yes. this culture that, you know, just because we recognize the history, just like we want to recognize the history of the land that we walk upon doesn't mean that it's um you know something that we can embrace or something mm -hmm. that's not ours we we need to acknowledge that okay these are the, these traditions are in this context and yeah. we live in this context right so let's pay attention to that you know mm -hmm. that's important as well and i, I was just going to say maybe sometimes there's an expectation too that somehow it seems easy and we should just be able to watch a youtube video <laughs> or like you know and then or like talk to me or talk to you and we will say okay we'll just try but it actually requires you know in every major religion there are three basic tenets mm -hmm. there is a teacher a teaching and community yeah and for something that is so focused and based on awareness like meditation you really need those three to be successful so whatever type you like you know let's say you are you want prayer you want to yes. read the bible and hey great you know that finding that for you and then finding a community finding your teacher is super important yeah so i would i, I would say that that's probably another big thing Absolutely. And I think the way you broke it down was also very valuable is that really trying to find what, how it fits for you. And for me, prayer and meditation, they do go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. When I am praying, to me, meditation is that focused thought on what I'm praying about and having that renewing spirit and that renewal that I get and I receive through prayer. Um, and it's not going to look the same for everybody. It doesn't even look the same for me. I pray in the car. I don't necessarily meditate in the car because, again, driving in the DMV, you got to focus on all the other crazies that are going on the road. But when I'm in a quiet place where I can be intentional about focusing my mind, it is a prayer. In meditation, they kind of go together. So I thank you for sharing, setting some light on that. You mentioned Kapwa earlier, kind of as a one-off to something else, but I really want to revisit that. 
um, that recognition of that shared identity, that inner self that's shared with others. And I know this is a principle that's not only integral to your professional work, but also personal life. So how did you find Capua? Um, you just said something that reminds me of it. You were talking about driving down the road and going to Papua, or driving down the road and, and having to manage all, you know, everything all at the same time. Yeah. And that for me is like the definition of mindfulness, right? It's just yeah. this idea of paying attention as all this stuff is arising around you and allowing yourself to observe it without judgment. Mm -hmm. And Kappa is, is a type of mindfulness practice. It's It's... You know, some people define it very loosely as community. Mm. Um, I like to think of it, and other and a few others talk about it as this type of interconnectedness. Yeah. And I had to find my way. Um, I found my way to Kapoi by accident. Mm -hmm. um, you know, or like you were talking about earlier, this kind of trauma-based um, society we live in and also kind of the extensive trauma within my own lineage. And it just led me to the national parks. Mm. And I, I think that I had been already touching on it. Like I've noticed having watched you and been around you, um, not a lot, but just as much as we have, yeah. that you embody this type of interconnectedness. And so I was aware that I was drawing people to me that kind of had the same energetic quality but I wasn't feeling it in myself. You know, other people mm. were like, I feel that in you, but I don't feel it in me, right? Right, yeah. And I realized that I wasn't listening. You know, there was this heart voice that was saying to me, go to the mountains. You need mm. to go do this. It made right. zero sense as often the heart will. <laughs> doesn't make logical sense. Not right? all the time, but no. <laughs> no uh -uh. So, you know. I, I I did. We ended up um, living in a tent for eight months in the woods, you know, and uh, we started in the Tetons. And this was so outside of my experience. Like my grandfather was a hunter, so that was kind of on my dad's side. But my, on my mother's side, nature was not a thing that we did. That was mm. like, you don't want me to be a part of that. She didn't want, you know, that was unsafe. All right. And And just also historically. Yeah. Right. There is um, like my mother grew up with having to run through a jungle. They lost everything. Um, it was during the war. And then she came here and interracial marriage was still against the law in Maryland and Virginia. And so my early years was in a Pentagon parking lot. My mother feeling unsafe because they were throwing dead cats on the lawn and doing all this really awful stuff. And so that kind of disconnected me layer after layer in my life. And so it's almost like my whole life has been around trying to reconnect these layers. Like, yeah. okay, the outer, outer structure is disconnecting and my inner structure is getting fractured. And I'm like, no, there's some part of me that just innately knew, let's come back. Right. And so it, you know, so then there was the journey of physical therapy, of hands on, and then eventually going into the national parks. And I will tell you that when you rest your back against a 4,000 year old tree, mm. I don't, there's nothing more I can say about it. 
So I was that like, that me. silence was palpable because that's it. Like, there's nothing else that needs to be said. That's the yes. language that's spoken. Nature has spoken. That's the connection. Bringing that's us that's back that's to awesome. where we came from. Yeah, that the nature from whence we came. Yes, that's Kapwa. I love that. I love it, Rita. I love it. So when you talk about, you know, the you know, reconnecting to nature and being and finding safety actually in nature, kind of the opposite of how you were, your uh, upbringing. Talk to me about the Integrative Nature School. I want to know more about that. Yeah, no, no, no. Thank you for asking. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I feel really good in national parks. There's just yeah. kind of like this structure that I feel like I need. And so I, what I, uh, my integrative nature school is all around the second part in my book, my latest book, Go Outside. Um, and it's around the four survival needs, which are shelter, water, fire, and food. So mm -hmm. it's, it's this idea that, you know, how do we build our personal shelter? Not just the, the structure of a house, right. which is influenced by culture, but this idea of how do we care for and how do we nurture that shelter? you know, the shelter of our heart, the shelter of our body. And so I, I, I have some fairly specific exercises I like to do for that. But then, and then, so there's that, but then there's also water. How do we, um, how are we near water? The, the fluidity of water. I've spent mm -hmm. 20 some years studying the lymphatic system, which is the water systems of the body. Right. And so helping people to move that fluidity in the body. And then the third part um, with fire, building actual fires and the ritual and the sacred ceremony around that. So I, I'm, I, I'm, I haven't started it. It'll be starting later this year. But so that's kind of the general framework or what we'll be working with. And I'll be doing it in four different parts of the country near a national park. Okay. Do you know the four parts of the four parts <laughs> of the country so people can start looking out for you? <laughs> I'm taking polls. I'm, I'm I'm taking a poll right now, but okay. In general, I mean, in general, yes. One around here, which is Shenandoah's, okay, on Chaco Canyon, which is in New Mexico, a big place for sacred geometry. Um, someplace out west, um, between the Rockies and Salt Lake. I I love the Tetons. I've led. I've done classes out there before, so okay. probably somewhere Teton, Yellowstone, and then further west, um, okay. Alaska. <gasps> yeah. Okay, I might just be an integrative nature school groupie and just follow you all across the country because that's those sound like amazing places. And yes, I, can see, yes. I can see maybe our band life thing um, developing <laughs> potentially at I love it. locations. I can see that happening right now. Vampire um, healers unite. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So I'm going to be on the lookout though. I'm going to, before I even lose it, I want to make sure I know how to find you. Where do you, where is that going to be posted once you kind of establish those locations and times and places and how are we going to be able to find that? Is that going to be on your website? Yeah. So on my website, RitaNaomi.com. And also if you want, you can email me at info at RitaNaomi.com and I'll put you on my mailing list because I'm, I'm much right now. I'm, I'm better at just doing my email list and sending right. out weekly stuff. So Okay, yeah. good. I just want to make sure people have that so yeah. they can be on the lookout because, again, oh, and I'm going to be getting all those places. Okay. No, no, I just want to say I want to make sure everyone knew where those places would be so they can make sure they follow and get, get that information because that's a, that's a nice tour. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So, emailing me is best, but I'm also okay. on Instagram. You can also, you always, you know, or TikTok, you can same handle, which is readanaomi.healer. 
Okay, gotcha. And you all can right. always just message me there too. I'll make sure I put all that in the show notes as well so people can continue to stay abreast of all the ongoings. That's wonderful. Um, so as we talk about our clientele, which is predominantly women, um, they all have some level of complex chronic health concern. Tell us more about the 30-day vital energy program. Yeah. Um, so this 30-day vital energy program is based, again, on this principle of meeting yourself where you are right now in the moment. Um, it's home-based, so it's a 30-day email challenge. So every day I send an email with um, guidance on um, how you can care for your physical body, your mental body, and your spiritual body. And okay. so it's just a just a daily support to also, if there's some part of you that is, for instance, stopped doing movement because you're mm -hmm. worried or scared, the movements are very gentle. Good. Um, yeah, also um, some sleeping stuff in there and food stuff in there, just maybe yes. paying attention to that. Which stuff we all need. Know, stuff right? we all need. We all need just a little extra support. Right. That's part of why I put it together. Like some of it is common sense, but sometimes yeah. we know something, but we don't do it. So. And, it, and it's a framework just to kind of help people who have or feel stuck or feel that they're in a rut to kind of have a little bit of rejuvenation to their typical routine. That's right. That's yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, you are self-proclaimed. Go ahead, continue. Especially with chronic illness. I, oh, I mean, yes. Yeah, it's just yeah. put into a rut and then we don't, and sometimes we just need that extra little, okay, I'll just do this one thing yeah. and then the next thing. Yeah, and that's how we can get you know out of those ruts. It takes that one step out of the pit and then we can find feel we can take that other step. And sometimes we just need a hand or a guide to get us through that moment. I think that that challenge will be just it. Thank you. You are a self-proclaimed suburban mom and a part-time nomad, which is kind of evidenced by the way, you know, you have traveled over the, you know, the U.S. national parks and um, all the different places that you're, you know, about to host your um, workshop. So you have a bit of an unconventional life, let's just say. Yeah. Um, while the ongoing pandemic has given so many of us permission to step outside the bounds of convention, many people, especially women, are still finding themselves stuck in some of those ruts that convention has created, yet they still want out. They still know that it's not the place for them and they can't find a way out. So talk to us about your ebook and how it addresses that need to run from something while guiding people on how to run to their dreams. Yeah, so I actually wrote the book before the pandemic, mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting, but um, I think that what I realized in manifesting my own dreams and living how I'm living now, um, I had, there were certain basic practices that were nourishing for me and helped me. Have you ever heard of the phrase? I'm sure you've heard this before, where our mind goes, our energy flows. Uh, yeah, you know? absolutely. Uh -huh. like we, what we do, every action in our day contributes to something, to where we are right now. And so the idea behind this book, The un Unconventional Life, is paying attention to, first of all, we're living in a world that's constantly telling us that it's sorrowful, it's hard, and it's, you know, there's a lot of negativity. Right. And um, we have to acknowledge that, but we also have to practice 
yeah. that we deserve joy, that yes. we deserve happiness, that yes. actually if we practice gratitude, I, I have in there a daily practice of gratitude, that we actually change our brain. There are functional MRIs. I don't know if you know Richard Davidson out of University of Wisconsin, but he's done this extensive research that has found that with these particular gratitude practices, we change our brain. We change the way where our energy goes. Mm -hmm. so you don't necessarily have to know the direction. Like, let's say right. you, you're just like, I don't know, I'm confused, I'm stuck. And no, it's like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. What you can do is just start a practice of, I'm going to take care of myself today. Today. Mm -hmm. Today. And these are the four areas. And so I, I, I have it defined into four zones. Um, you know, so I, I have it defined as, you know, nature mm -hmm. and the body and the mind, you know, and so just, and, and putting it all together basically. Right. So it's yeah. kind of the early stages of the Naomi method of healing, but, right. um, yeah. So that's I kind mean, of, kind of it. It's, it's kind of like, you know, I, at first when I was writing it, I was thinking, is this really unconventional? Like, cause I'm so in it, right? Like, yeah, like you don't even recognize once it becomes a part of you, you don't realize, oh, this isn't what everybody else is doing. Right. <laughs> and I, I'll never forget, you know, I used to work with people in, in very, in leadership positions, let's just yeah. say. Um, and, and I remember, I'll never forget this one, one guy who just like very powerful man said to me, mm -hmm. Rita, your biggest mistake is that you think people see the world the same way that you do, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh. yep. That is your biggest flaw, Rita. I will agree. That is your biggest flaw. <laughs> if you have one, if you have a flaw, that will be it, is that unfortunately, you just don't realize that we all don't have on the same glasses. <laughs> there we go. So, yeah, so it's unconventional, and so yeah. here we are, you know? Yes. But We're it's, all it's, swimming against a stream. Yes. We, we need those, we need a life jacket. We need right. a boat and a paddle, yeah. and that's yeah. what the book is. I love it. And a foundational part of Kapo, which we've kind of revisited um, throughout this episode, is going outside with the backdrop of the U.S. National Parks. Yeah, and going go outside is also the name of your latest book. So tell us about the book, the nature exploration, and how actually visiting these national parks has been transformational to both you and your son. Yeah, uh, transformational. Yeah, big. Um, the book is divided into three parts, and it's primarily based on our educational journey in the parks. I was homeschooling him initially. Um, he he was very sick as a child and so it was it kind of really was our heal it's our healing journey but i call it educational because we were learning we're learning about ourselves we're learning how to heal ourselves all of that but it also has very practical tips and wisdom in there in terms of um, the first part is mostly educational the second part part is the shelter water fire and food like how to provide for yourself um, when you're in a fairly survival type situation. Right. And then the last part is actually just on the trails and the paths and what to bring, um, just to, to continue that path of thriving right. outdoors. And for us, I, I just love the national parks, you know, I would say that probably the most fundamental healing part of our journey was 
you know, I want to say connecting with the land, but it wasn't, it was connecting with the history and the ancestors of the land and their prayers. Mm. Their mm. prayers. Oh, I felt that. I felt that. Yeah. We were invited to water ceremonies and people just, the, the Native American community started welcoming us into their um, ceremonies yeah. and just realizing, wait a minute, there yeah. is wisdom here. There is something that we can pay attention to. Um, this tree is not just a tree. It talks to us. Yes. And as it talks, we just need to listen. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. How did you, how, what was it about the U.S. National Parks in the first place? Like what actually said, oh, this is, how did this become a thing? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, my dad was a, um, uh, in the military. My okay. husband is part of the uniformed services as well. Okay. So, or he just retired after 30 years, but um, so being within this kind of military base, this idea of uniform service, as weird as it sounds, um, you know, that's just kind of what I knew, um, right. where I landed as a baby, as a child, I was raised in that system. And so when you go into a national park, it's federal, you know, mm -hmm. no guns are allowed. Um, there are rangers that, that kind of keep the peace. Yeah. Um, I, I, like I said to you, my background was one of feeling somewhat, it was kind of a double-edged sword. I felt somewhat threatened as mm. much as at the same time, I had friends that loved going outdoors. I did not feel safe going outdoors unless right. I was with my white friends. Like there was mm. just like this message yeah. inside that was so overpowering. And I just got to a point where I was so desperate to get out, get out of this DC area. My heart was saying, you have to get out. Yeah. And I just, somebody said to me, why don't you try going to the Tetons? And I was like, whoa, that is way far away. Like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> away. The Shenandoah's okay. You know, that's right. right. That's, that's, that's but reasonable. <laughs> Right? Uh, what? Like that is whoa. And then seven thousand feet above sea level, you know, all this kind of right, stuff. all of it. But um you know, I, I had several friends say to me, Look, a national park, exactly what I said to you, mm -hmm. this structure, um, you're just going with your tent, you'll be with your son, you'll be surrounded by other families. Um, their visitor centers you can check in with their camp hosts and so I just kind of thought okay this works yeah. you know I, I, I can do that and then and then when we were there um, our first kind of real the, the real first real start to our journey was in um, June of 2016 the first week of July it was the, actually it was right after 4th of July and we woke up to hail snow i mean it, it was just like it was so cold and 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 it was like that for seven days and mm -hmm. i was like oh my gosh and and robbie was seven at the time right like mm -hmm. this was, you know we had no ipad right. <laughs> I'm like, ah! so we ended up going to the visitor center and we went we drove up to yellowstone and um 
there was a park ranger there. Her name is Ellen. And she was actually at one time a biology um, science teacher. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, you should really try this junior ranger program with your son, Robbie. And he just loved it. And I loved it. You know, he was like totally engaged and I'm learning stuff too. And so she gives this ranger talk and I'm like, oh my God, the National Park Service has this incredible educational system. And the park rangers, holy cow, they know some shit. (laughs) Like a lot of them are like, you know, school teachers and PhDs and, you know, all this stuff. And, And like nobody talks about this in the world. Right. So then, you know, after we, we ended up camping for five weeks and I called Bart and I said, look, this is really amazing. Robbie's breathing well now. He's yeah. thriving. I think maybe there's something here. Yeah. And so I just ended up like in a two week period, it's put together. I contacted, I had to research all the homeschooling thing and, you know, all this other stuff, yeah. which is another conversation. But no, we just realized that the National Park System has like this extensive educational network through the Junior Ranger program. So that actually was the integral part of his education for the last wow. Years. Wow. And did and how has he has he always been homeschooled and has that been the like pretty much the majority of his schooling? Has it been through the that kind of junior ranger park service? curriculum or how how has that developed just um sure or, yeah how does how, how does one network do that for their children yeah because i'm sure there are a lot of people who are thirsty for something like that and just yeah. don't know yeah no that's uh, we connected with so many families um i mean just so we started in 2016 and now it's 2022 and it's been really interesting and wonderful to yeah. watch how U.S. culture is, is is progressing actually in this way. It's very hopeful. Yeah. Um, so so there are a couple of things. Um, first of all, when I pulled Robbie out of school, he uh, he was already going to elementary school uh, for kindergarten, first school by our house. Mm-hmm. But he was also sick all the time. And yeah. there is this thing that they do. You know, a lot of people um, they just think it's great that mm-hmm. you know they're trying to push their child to learn as to read as soon as right. possible that is not my philosophy and as somebody who has studied developmental just just studied mostly sensory integration right. stuff, mm-hmm. i connect more with the waldorf system of learning which has okay. to do with you know they don't start teaching children to read before the age of seven and the mm-hmm. reason is because our visual system needs to be wide it needs to 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 take things in Mm -hmm. and we take those things in and then our nervous system expands it integrates and it it, that's kapwa right there and we're literally educating our kids out of that yeah so for me i had this fundamental sense of this is not right and i Mm -hmm. had this visceral like ah and even in his first grade I actually pulled him out of schools on Friday, called him and sick. Maybe you shouldn't put this on, on the podcast. <laughs> we'll edit it out. We'll edit it out. If it's, if it's not good, if it's not good. But I, I feel there's going to be a gem in this somewhere. I'll edit it out. <laughs> okay. There is a gem in here. Yes. I, on, I put him in primitive skills uh-huh. for a day outside every Friday. And I noticed that it was changing him. It was helping him. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, you know, so instead of like being scattered, you know, acting out that kind of thing, calm, you know, just taking things in happy. Yeah. So when I went to pull them out of school, I had already been thinking a little bit like, okay, something's not right and we need to put something else in place. He was chronically sick on antibiotics all the time. Like just no, no, no. Yeah. And I just felt like as a mother, I was just feeling like this type of desperation. Like I can do this. I have to do this. And even though I have so much fear and so much whatever, my inner sense as a mother of wanting to do the best and the right thing for my child is really here. Yeah. And so then I just, you know, and so then I ended up talking to the principal and she said, you know what, Rita? He's in second grade. He's going into second grade. There is no better time to do this. Because mm. in our area, at least in the Washington, D.C. area, as you yeah. are aware, by in elementary school, they're already putting them on these tracks of learning. Yeah. You know, putting them into, are you advanced math? Are you math oriented? Are you, mm-hmm. well, how the heck could they know? Right. What the hell? You can't even count. <laughs> Exactly. Like, who are we to make these decisions? Right. And so, I mean, I get, don't get me wrong. We also are in an extraordinary privileged area. The education, having traveled everywhere in the United States, right. is really better than most places we've been. Like, Absolutely. I would say 98% better. Yeah. But, and, and is a better word. And, mm-hmm. just like our healthcare. Yeah. Uh huh. There was just this awareness that okay, something else needs to happen. And I, I will tell you, I was just telling Bart the other day, we went to a primitive skills um, weekend where we were just outside for forty-eight hours, and we were making tools out of bones and learning how to mm. make pots out of clay, and um, just you know whatever it was. Right. And Robbie fell into that deep space that he gets to like when we touched the 4,000 year old tree. Yeah. There was just like this. Mm. And, you know, as a result, I mean, he is in advanced classes now, but some of that I think was just because there's something in him that was able to expand and flourish before it got forced upon him. Yeah. And, you know, so, and he's now, he, he represents, he's in the National Park Trust. He's a wow. ambassador um, for the National Park Trust, which is cool, but not necessary. You know, it's like he right. does it because he wants to, but so I don't it's know if I answered that experience. No, but it's a part of that experience and just a simple trip to the, you know, national parks to get outside and to go outside has turned into something so much bigger that kind of keeps going and getting bigger and bigger and during his formidable formidable years formidable i'm not sure how people say that word so formidable and formidable years yeah (laughs) i always i'm like am i saying it right or wrong or do people understand both so both ways he's you know during this crucial time in his life he's getting this education that surpasses the numbers that surpasses phonics that surpasses but is more of that education that's life oriented and about the things that we need to function and not things that you know are thrust upon us in this conventional uh school system that often are you know that we need some of those aspects but some of those aspects have expired um and really incorporating some of that into real life practical how is my life going to unfold after this um, particular experience 
I think it's so valuable. So valuable. So any parting words of wisdom for us, Miss Brita? Well, there's one more part I would just say to that. Sure. that just, you know, with the education, there also was the exposure to all parts of this country. Okay. There, we, we got lifted out of kind of this Eastern seaboard kind of mentality, however you want to define it. Right. We got lifted into all these different communities. When you're in a national park, it does not matter your political bent at all. Mm -hmm. Right. You end up making the same fires and sitting around and roasting the same marshmallows. And, yes. You know, and all the kids, and I'm telling you, there were some things I heard that I was very challenged by. Sometimes I'd have to leave. But at the same time, I know there are people that after our conversations have a completely different way of looking at things. And I know yeah. that Robbie has really benefited from that. I, I was, at first I wasn't sure, but, and so I, I guess, you know, in terms of parting words of wisdom, I would just say that, you know, trust yourself, trust that there is some, something coming through you that has brought you here to the planet right here and right now. Yeah and that we need each other. We need each other to really listen to ourselves and to take the action, you know, once we learn these practices of going in, to really take them that next step forward and try to share them with others. Yes, I love it. I love it, absolutely. Thank you so much, Rita. Thank you so much for this time. And it's always a pleasure for you are in my spirit, you are in my heart, and I can't wait to join you somewhere out in the U.S. somewhere, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm making it, I'm putting it on my calendar. <laughs> Yay! Thank you. And now it's wine time. Whether you're a wine aficionado or enthusiast, or merely wine curious, this segment is for you. Some of the best conversations, like the one I just had, occur over a glass of wine with great company. And if you don't imbibe at all, cheers to your health, wellness, and healing too. Sauvignon Blanc, coming from the French word sauvage, meaning wild, and blanc, meaning white, is one of the most popular white wines known for its crispness. It has a grassy feel and is sometimes referred to as Sancerre after the region in France where it was born. Many wine drinkers love an ice-cold glass of Sauvignon Blanc, as it is a refreshing, dry wine that has a great aroma, herbal taste, and a nice crisp pucker at the end. It is often the go-to choice for many wine drinkers, and rightfully so, because even as a person with an allegiance to red wine, Sauvignon Blanc is super easy to drink. Its high acidity and broad range of flavors make the wine extremely versatile in food and wine pairings, plus it's pretty affordable, ranging from anywhere between $10 a pop and $25 to $50 for more refined tastes. Sauvignon Blanc from New World regions like New Zealand, Australia, and California is full-bodied and has the signature grassy accompanied by tropical fruit forward flavors. They use more oak and also have higher alcohol content. The grassiness comes from the aldehydes which are prominent in this Sauvignon Blanc grape variety. My favorite vintage is 2019 as it ushers itself in with a fresh balance and expressive feel. With an inviting nose of stony minerality and blood orange, it develops into lifted notes of tropical fruits and lingering herbals. 
The mouth displays a fleshy, juicy texture with flavors of peach and mango, which are my separate faves. And the finish is crisp and refreshing with, again, a touch of minerality. Whether from France, California, or New Zealand, Sauvignon Blanc will always remain a staple. If you're curious to see the difference in these three types, host a Sauvignon Blanc blind tasting with friends. Assign each person a specific region, wrap the bottles up in foil, and then get into the figuring out of which styles suit your t taste and palate best. And here's a tip. Have some goat cheese to snack on for the tasting discussion because Sauvignon Blanc is goat cheese's perfect pair. Salud. Thanks for joining Women's Health Wisdom and Wine. We really hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Think about one gem you can take away from this episode and apply it to your own life. Also, remember to follow us, review us, and give us five stars. Till we meet again, remember, nourish your flourish.